0: So here we are, episode 14 of the Armchair Managers podcast, another busy week in the world of Premier League football, there's been plenty happening this week, so many incidents to talk about, VAR again, Klopp, uh, uh, he can't get out of the headlines at the moment, can he Dan?
1: No, he uh, is definitely fighting a lot of battles off the pitch as well as on them, but uh, for me I just find it entertaining.
0: Yeah, and I think everyone is finding this season thoroughly entertaining. Football is coming thick and fast, and as always, we are here to wrap up the week. I'm Ross Evans. This is my co-host, Dan Newton. Hello. And Let's get into the action. Let's. Uh, we're going to start off today with the only game we picked out last week is our marquee game, which is Chelsea versus Tottenham. Me and Dan both predicted a 2-0 win for Spurs after they've been on some rampant form in the Premier League. and it- was thoroughly disappointing wasn't it done
1: yeah it was one of the i think most boring games i've watched in a long time um i think it was definitely two teams i didn't want to lose i think both were probably look at it as a good point but um yeah very disappointing as a neutral
0: yeah i mean Mourinho did come out and say that he's happy that they're not happy so maybe they did expect to win the game but i didn't i wasn't too impressed by the way Tottenham like, I didn't feel like they were chasing a win they looked like a team that would have been happy to take a point
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right, I think, you know, it's typical Mourinho, um, you know he sets up to try and counter-attack but I think, you know uh, Chelsea did a good job, I think, marking Harry Kane out of the game, and when you kind of take him out, there's not really a lot Spurs can use to kind of build up an attack they're pretty much just relying on I think Regulon is probably their best attacker actually and uh it's a bit worrying when that's your left back. Um yeah. Yeah, no I think um, Spurs just looked a bit toothless um up front which is strange because we've said how good they've done this season going forward. Um but yeah, no it's yeah. just more of a classic Mourinho rather than kind of the new um Mourinho that we've seen lately.
0: Yeah, I mean we do expect now Tottenham and particularly harry kane he's just not scoring goals anymore he's creating them so taking him out of the game must have been you know an important area for chelsea to get right because if they don't that's all sorts of trouble but you've got to say that chelsea's defense over the last few games has been superb
1: yeah it has yeah i think obviously the new goalkeeper has definitely helped um not only is he probably better as a goalkeeper but i think he gives a lot more confidence uh to their defenders which is crucial and um yeah, they've been very well organised. In a lot of ways, they looked more like a Mourinho team than a Lampard team from last season. You know, how defensively they were at our possession. But, um, yeah. Yeah, no, they they looked a lot better.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Chelsea, after having as said, a rough start to the season, now find themselves in the top four, only um, two points behind Spurs and Liverpool. Um, but they have, you know, the same goal difference as Tottenham so you know on reflection maybe as disappointing as the game was and we would have liked to have seen Spurs chase it as a Chelsea fan you can argue you've got to be really happy considering you had a bit of a ropey start
1: yeah I think they've gone a bit under the radar this season I think you know those huge expectations with the amount of signings they made and they had to, like you know a bit of a wobble at the beginning but I think in terms of yeah. the results they've picked up They've kind of gone sort of quietly about their business the last sort of couple of months. And I think they're definitely, you know, an an outside shot for the title, much like Spurs. And, you know, I think it looks to be a much more exciting title race than we've had over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, it's shaping up to be close. And we're, we're, what, 10 games into the season now, I mean, nine for Leicester, who played play uh, tonight against Fulham so that you know that's it's not if they get another three points it's just when yeah. um, and you know that means that the top four on 21 points 21 points 19 points and 18 points unless having a game in hand on 18 so we could see three teams on 21 points and one on and fourth place on 19 by sort of half nine tonight which makes it it's a really interesting title race, isn't it? So far, it's shaping up to be. We could see a team pull away, uh, but I'm not expecting to.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because you've got sort of different factors contributing to each team's good start. You know, Spurs have got a very good squad and a very good manager that's kind of rediscovered his kind of golden touch. You've got Liverpool, who are the champions, but they're played by injuries, so they're not at, at the level they were last season. And you've got Chelsea with all their new players trying to fit into one team, so it's kind of interesting to see how each of those teams are kind of going to develop and change um, over the course of the season, and I think if one of them can find a bit of consistency, we, we might see a team pull away. But, um, hopefully, they don't, because you know it's more exciting to watch them. You know, all three going at it.
0: Yeah, and do you think the return of some fans in stadiums is going to influence that? Because there might be some areas who, if they're in a tier three restriction, can't have fans in their stadium. Do you think that that lack of support will? influence some results like if they're at home and they're struggling or you know if they've got some somehow away fans that might be able to support them on that tough away day to so somewhere like you know villa or yeah Wolf.
1: Uh, well i mean i don't think there's going to be any away fans any of the games It's going to be only be home fans i believe um i see because you know obviously they have season ticket holders that they all have more than you know two thousand of them so it's kind of unfair to let away fans come in especially when you're not supposed to be traveling out of uh your different areas but um mm-hmm. true, to, true. To, be, to be fair i think um i don't think it'll make a huge difference you know it, certainly it, it could have a small impact but i don't think it'll have a big enough impact to change the results especially not you to think you know i know manchester will be in tier three so they won't have any but i think two thousand people in like an eighty-five thousand pounds stadium you know can have an impact but i don't think enough to actually change the result
0: no, but, but, well, potentially, I mean, you know, that having that level of support could be there to help, but, you know, like you say, at the at the SC Had, for example, um, yeah, 2,000 fans is hardly going to be, you know, a lot in there. I mean, they're used to an empty stadium anyway, so it might put them off.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think it's more for, like, EFL yeah, clubs, you know, the fans can come back. Although I can yeah. get into it a bit later on because I've talked to a lot of people about it and I'm not sure it's actually going to be that good financially for some clubs. Uh, for some clubs, yeah. obviously will, but for others, it might not be. But um, yeah. no, in terms of the Premier League, I think it will just be good to kind of be the first step onto getting everyone back in.
0: Yeah. Um, while we said that the Chelsea-Tottenham game was not particularly interesting in any way, shape or form, we kind of overlooked Southampton versus Manchester United and that turned into a real firecracker of a game.
1: It did, yeah, you know, it was it was very um interesting, it was a very nice watch. Um two two teams that kind of went at it. Um Southampton were a bit kind of um a bit tasty in the tackle, I thought, you know. Some of the challenges that went in that I'm sure Ollie won't be happy about with the amount of injuries his team potentially could have. But uh, no, it was very exciting, but of end to end at certain points. It was a good game.
0: Yeah, and United with a rather impressive comeback, often really not being up so much in the first half, conceding twice—a a, Ward Prowse assisted goal from uh, Bednarek from a corner, then Ward Prowse scoring an excellent free free kick. You can argue that De Gea maybe should have saved it.
1: But yeah,
0: I think he did. a not argue to get with his quality. It,
1: fair. Yeah, I think De Gea is lucky to kind of get anything on it. I think it wasn't, you know, an excellent free kick. Uh, to be fair, I thought you know United in the first half actually had some chances that just didn't take him. You know Rashford had a, a one-on-one he should have buried. Um, and I think when you look at the ninety minutes, I think United probably did deserve to win it. Um, uh, but you know, but Southampton will be disappointed to have dropped points from being two goals up. You always are.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to say it was an inspired two headers really from Edison Cavani. That you know you can see he's a clinical, clinical goal scorer and something that Manchester United desperately needed at the moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it was some generous defending from Southampton. I mean, definitely on the second one. Um, yeah, you know, if one player stood back playing about four United players on side. Um, but you know, like you said, he's still got to finish it. And I think Cavani's kind of gone under the radar a little bit as a, a good signing. You know, I personally, I thought he was a decent signing in terms of what he can do on the pitch, but it was definitely a panic buy. Um, by United. Yeah. Certain, they could have bought him at any point um, during the transfer window, and they didn't wait till you know the last week to really do it. So I think maybe the United board's got a little bit lucky that he's you know turned out all right. But now, if he can keep yeah. scoring goals like that, then I'm sure they'll be pleased.
0: Yeah, and of course, then he went and ruined it for those who aren't aware. He is um, currently being investigated or pending investigation for potential racist activity after a post on his instagram we won't repeat what he said but it could be contrived and certainly has been seen as a racist statement on his social media he has since deleted the post but looks like he could be in a bit of trouble doesn't it
1: possibly yeah i think it you know it's uh the term he used has a bit more nuance to it than a lot of other terms. Um it's something that I think in different cultures is used to mean different things. Uh the big the big thing that a lot of football fans are saying is that it's the same word that ever um was caused by was by called by Louis Suarez, which led to his um big ban. And yep. a lot of people are saying, well if Suarez got banned for saying it then surely Cavani should be as well. And it's kind of like well, he was using it as a means of endearment and you know it's it's different kind of meanings in different cultures. So I mean I'm not an expert on it. So I don't know if I can call it either way, but uh, hopefully the FA will come to the right outcome.
0: Yeah, I mean, as much as we can point to sort of different means, different cultures, they are both same nationality between Cavani and Suarez, both Uruguayan. So I'm as much as that could be used as a point. I think we are going to see a potential ban there. I think it was it eight games for Suarez?
1: Yeah, I don't think it'll be anything like that. I can see, like, maybe one game or three games. I think you've got to look at it as well. You know, Suarez has used it to insult, you know, an opponent, and, you know, Cavani's using it to congratulate a teammate who helped set up his goals. So they obviously haven't used it in different ways, but it all depends on how the FA will interpret that.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll keep a ear to the ground on that to see how that uh, investigation turns out, because it is... Certainly interesting, and if they do find him guilty of race, uh, you know, a racial misconduct charge, let's say, let's phrase it as that, then it's something we don't really want. To, well, not we definitely don't want to see in the game. Yeah. Um, but back away from that, and while Southampton threw away a two-nil lead, um, do you think that you know the? So the way Southampton are playing at the moment, you know, they're, they're really, you know, a challenging team for most top sides now.
1: Yeah, um, I think they can give anyone a game on their day. You know, very well organised. You know, like I said at the start, you know, they're not afraid to get stuck in, you know, to an opposition either, which you kind of have to do when you don't have the quality of the top four teams. Not to say that you know they they do have quality, but you know it's different levels to it. And um, yeah, yeah, for me, I could definitely see them as. Know an outside shot for like top six, maybe get into the Europa League potentially.
0: Yeah, you know I think they need a bit of might need a bit of fortune to get there. But you know currently in the table they are they're actually in fifth.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like this again, they going under the radar a little bit of how well they are doing.
0: Yeah, but you know we see a team like Everton who started so well who have now lost four of their last five. Southampton are a team that you think might be at, r- at risk of that run of form if they get a particularly tough set of fixtures. And obviously, you know, as we'll get onto later, there's a lot of fixture congestion at the moment, and it always gets worse in December. So I think Southampton, if they come through December reasonably unscathed, I think that I would agree. I'd be tempted to agree with you as a European challenger. But otherwise, if if they have a rough December, I think they could be out of the picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at least they'll, you know, they'll be at mid-table, which you know, for a club like Southampton is always going to be the aim is to get that minimum, you know, of not being relegated. And I think anything above yeah. that's a bonus for them.
0: Yeah. Um. Speaking of Man United, they've now won, lost the last three games. Now they've won them in a row. Um. They, do you think it's a case of Man United and Oli might suddenly be steadying the ship finally, or do you think it's just a case of same old United and we? You know, we could see a completely different, lacklustre team turn up in the Champions League against PSG. I
1: think it's Oli realizing that he's close to the sack, so suddenly they're starting to play again. Like they seem to do every kind of four or five months under him. Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think you look at that United team; it, it does have policy. Like it is a good um, first eleven. You know, maybe it lacks a little bit of strength and depth, or in certain positions they're lacking. Maybe it's centre back, but I do think they're a decent team. Um, yeah. I don't think you know, looking at the season, how's it, how it's gone and the other teams that are in the top four. I don't think they're that much better than, you know, a Chelsea or a Tottenham at this point. And I think there are teams that are better than them. Um, yeah. But I can see them definitely around the top six again and trying to go for top four.
0: Yeah, I mean, do we have... There's a lot of quality in United's team and, you know, it's a star-studded... Stud, um, starting 11 do you think there's an issue if the players don't quite fit the system that ollie wants to play in it's sort of square peg and round holes or do you think it's just that the players aren't performing particularly well
1: um well i think he struggled to kind of decide on a system you know they seem to alternate between playing a 4 3 and playing this kind of four-one-two-one-two kind of diamond formation and i think he probably needs to decide on which one's going to work better for his team and Also getting the right players in there, yeah. You know, like I you said, you know, certainly, I think players like Van der Beek should have played more this season, and I yeah. think you've seen this upturn in results with him getting more minutes on the pitch. I think definitely, whatever system they play, I think they have enough quality to play either one. Personally, I think the diamond's probably better, and you can play Van der Beek, you know, Bruno, Fred, you can play all those players in there, and Matic as well, and have kind of Cavani, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood. And, you know, I think in terms of you know, four players competing for two striker slots. I think that's a fantastic, you know, front line, potentially have.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, it just, time will tell, currently sat in eighth on 16 points. Do you think they'll get European football this season, or do you think they'll just miss out with the, you know, Southampton playing so well, Leicester always a challenging game, Wolves we know can be beat anyone on their day.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, like it's really difficult to say at this point. I think at the start of the season, I probably said they would make top four. Looking at it now, I think they might just miss out and go into the Europa League. Which I think, if that happened, then maybe Oli could lose his job because I think you know getting that money from the Champions League and that kind of brand exposure is so crucial to the you know the board at United.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, speaking of potential European contenders with them, Wolves uh, faced off against Arsenal last night and the result wasn't the main talking point. The main talking point was a horrific injury to Raul Jimenez after a head clash with David Luiz. Um, it's been reported that he has a fractured skull and he has successfully undergone surgery, so I do wish him a speedy recovery because that's a nasty injury.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely all, all thoughts go out to him because... You never want to see that kind of thing happening on a football pitch or, or anywhere for that matter.
0: Yeah, um, but away from the injury, Wolves looked quite good, didn't they?
1: They did. Yeah, they they played well. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Arsenal last week, so I won't get fully into it. But I think they were definitely helped by a poor Arsenal side. But uh, yeah. no, they did play well, and you know, everyone knows Wolves are a good team, and they'll definitely be. Again, you know, I've said a lot but around that top six, you know. I think mean, there's a yeah. lot of teams competing in that area this year. I think normally, yeah. you know, over the last couple of seasons, we've seen them, you know, cement themselves as like a an upper sort of half of the Premier League kind of team in that kind of bracket. Um, yeah. So, you know, I definitely think they could get into, uh, into Europa League again. And, um, yeah, it's good to have as many teams as possible competing for these different areas.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you say that, the top four, you could currently argue that, and again, as we have to say, always caveat this with we're only 10 games into the season. Some teams haven't played all 10 games. But you could argue that any team from sort of 10th upwards is in the picture for it because they're only three points or less off the top four. But, you know, Arsenal sat down in 14th. I think this might already be a season to forget.
1: Yeah, I, I think with so many teams that are competing above them, it will be very difficult for Arsenal to get back in the picture. I mean, you look at someone like Aston Villa, they've only played eight games and they're on 15, uh, 15 points. If they win both those yep. games, they'll be joint top, you know? Um, yeah. there's so many teams vying for those positions that, I think for a team like Arsenal or, you know, potentially even Leeds, you know, in twelfth that I think they'll be in mid-table, unfortunately, for them.
0: Yeah. Um and as we've always said for Arsenal this is probably still a transitional period because they keep changing managers with different styles who have different ideas of the players they want in their team um and some it, internally i think the club's in a bit of turmoil um think we they could struggle for another couple of years
1: yeah um potentially you know i think you know again we talked about it a lot last week but um i think they definitely do need to either keep faith of a manager or at least have a manager that keeps faith in his own system you know i think the biggest criticism you're having about Eta now is he changes it too often and you know they look some weeks that they're going to play like you know man city or barcelona and other weeks they play like stoke so it's uh yeah it's a weird one and i think you know when he first got the job everyone praised him for being pragmatic and being able to change it for these big games but now yeah you know they don't look like they have any kind of identity
0: no they they look like a team that's had the sort of similar it's like when ollie first got the job at united they were good for a few months and then they've just gone a bit shit again
1: yeah um i mean i like Arteta. i hope he can turn it around but um yeah i, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if arsenal did go in a different direction i saw last night you know arsenal fans are even begging for uh, for arson wenger to come back which uh you know i don't see that happening but um just kind of shows how far they've come from him and not in the Arsenal, way.
0: the wenger out brigade really aged well
1: yeah i i bet they're regretting it now you know at least under oh, him he was top four every year or nearly every year
0: yeah a running joke that they could now wish that they could have back i think really not a good time to be an arsenal fan at the moment
1: no definitely not i mean they've, they've got potentially you know good players coming through but you know, I think it's going to be a while until they're up there competing at the top again.
0: Mm. I mean, their last five games, they've got three losses, one win, one draw. It, it's it's not fun. And as Roy Keane said, they've probably got enough about them to stay up, but well, only time will tell. Right, so we've picked out sort of the main uh, big games of the weekend so far. But the one we haven't spoken about so far, and we're going to dedicate pretty much this whole section to dissecting and talking about, is Liverpool and Brighton. Now, on the face of it, it was a 1-1 draw, which, you know, again, you'd expect Liverpool to probably go out and win that game. You can argue maybe Brighton have been a bit of a plucky team and they've stuck really stuck it to the big dogs. Uh, that wasn't quite the story, was it, Dan? Um,
1: no, I mean, I actually think Brian played well, especially in the first half. I think they could have scored more goals. Um, but no, the, the main talking points from the game was obviously, you know, VAR and more controversy around that and after the match yeah. with Klopp.
0: So, there, I mean, there's two big VAR calls. There was one that, what, you know, the first penalty that Neil Mopay missed, obviously a penalty. VAR yeah, yeah. shouldn't have even been needed to check that because that was quite clearly a penalty silly challenge from neko williams um and the first var call was salah getting a goal ruled out for offside what did you make of that one
1: i mean when i watched it live i, I looked at it and i thought yeah he's offside um it seemed fairly clear cut to me but i think you might disagree on that
0: yeah i is well the first offside sorry there was one offside goal clear offside first VAR call, he's literally off by what I feel is a negligible amount. It's it's so difficult to tell. We, you know, we've seen the differences in frame rates that they can't actually keep up the speed of the game. So to call it when it's a hair's breadth, I think is unfair.
1: I mean, I think, you know, when I think of VAR as a concept, do I think it should be interfering in that? No. But when I think of it as how it's been used for two seasons now, it set the precedent that it's going to make calls like that. That when it is so tight, you know, VAR is still going to interfere and take it back. So I think, you know, we, we ask a lot for consistency from it. And I, I think it is being consistent. Um, even if I don't, you know, think offside calls should be made like that. I do think in terms of the precedent it's set, that goal should have been ruled out.
0: Yeah, I, I have to disagree with you. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. Then, not just as a Liverpool fan, but those lines are so small you know I'd I'd prefer to see the Dutch system implemented Um, for those of you who aren't aware the Dutch uh, FA have introduced a a change to VAR not this isn't sanctioned by FIFA they've just done it Uh, they've increased the line that the the lines they mark to five centimeters and if these lines overlap at any point then the offside call is overruled and put down as error, um, as a human error, so the offside isn't given or the original decision is upheld because it takes into consideration human error, uh, the differences in time frame and therefore if they overlap it can't be clear and obvious which is the MO of VAR which is to correct clear and obvious mistakes, I don't think that situation is clear and obvious. Um, would you like to see the Dutch system implemented for incidents like that, Dan?
1: Uh, yeah, I would. You know, I, I've said um, repeatedly um, since this was first an issue that I think they should change the offside rule to have a greater margin of error, um, so we can allow more goals and more exciting football. But I think for this incident, you know, it, it isn't incorporated right now, and it would have been unfair to not rule that out, considering the goals they have ruled out you know for Liverpool in the past they've had plenty of you know facility offside calls but that's how the system works right now and I think they did it correctly by the rules they're operating on now should those rules be changed I think that's a different conversation and that's something we both agree on that yeah uh, this kind of Dutch system is better I think
0: yeah um I mean, that it was just agonising to see not just a Liverpool fan for Liverpool goals, but I think in every game we see now, almost every week, there's a goal that is similar to that that gets ruled off when it is millimetres. You know, the Patrick Bamford one springs to mind where he's offside because he's pointing where he wants the ball. Um, it, it just needs to be, I think it needs to be fixed. It needs to be sorted. It needs, the rules need to be rewritten, and it really is a wind-up.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you there. I think the, the rules do need to be changed.
0: Yeah. I mean, having said that, the penalty incident right at the end of the game, VAR actually implemented correctly. I can't believe I'm saying that, but after re- having rewatched it, it was used correctly, and I think the penalty was the correct decision, wasn't it, for the foul on Welbeck?
1: I think so, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a frustrating one, because... It's just a silly tackle really or attempt to clear the ball and it's one that i think if he was given against your team he'd be frustrated with just because he doesn't yeah. really need to make that kind of tackle but um in terms of whether it was a foul and did var get it right then yeah i think they did and um you know i think brian deserved the penalty and deserved the point really
0: yeah i mean it, as you say it's a silly challenge i mean if you can call it a challenge from robert from robertson but you know welbeck's reaction to go down was a bit delayed do you think if welbeck stays up do you think he that gets given or do you think if welbeck stays on his feet they don't even look at him they just play on
1: yeah i think if he stays on his feet then no one takes a second look at it and and to be fair i don't think the tackle's actually brought him down you can see he takes like a step or two and then goes down which you know that's part of the game now um yeah, I uh, I think if he doesn't go down at all, then no one gives it, which is slightly concerning because it you know encourages players to go down when maybe they don't have to. But um,
0: under minimal contact. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but um, you know I think when you look at it in slow motion, it does look like a penalty, and you know that's yeah. just football. Like we say, we talk about it every week. You know, players will go down, they can get a penalty. You know, everyone yeah. will do the same in their situation.
0: Um. And then we saw an extraordinary rant from Klopp in the post-match interview. Um, I think, what what did you make of it? Because you, you must have seen it.
1: Oh, I thought it was, it was great entertainment. Um, was more entertaining than the match, um, to be honest. Uh, no, I mean, we've spoken about this a couple of weeks ago with, in terms of his complaints about the scheduling. But, um, in terms of the, the rant itself, it was... He was kind of more like peak Mourinho kind of stuff, you know, where he was having a go at the media and the FA and the the organisers and well, pretty much anyone who was stood in front of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, poor old Des Kelly was on the receiving end, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I did think Des Kelly was being a bit annoying, though. I'm not gonna lie. I think yeah. If I was Klopp, I would have had to at him as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think Klopp's got a point? I know we've talked about scheduling before, we'll, you know, we'll have a look at. Um chris wilder's comments as well because he has been you know he's been asked about if of course he would be um but you know the scheduling we see that liverpool got another injury with a hamstring injury to james milner um i mean liverpool and injuries it's not exactly shocking news at the moment is it
1: no it seems to be every day they get another one pretty much
0: yeah. Um, do you think he's got a point in the role of the uh, broadcasters in defending and protecting the fitness of players and you know their risk of injury? Or do you think that as far as you're concerned that Des Kelly defending the broadcaster is right, you, it's actually dealt with by the Premier League and then they need to change their kick-off times?
1: Well, I think Des Kelly kind of misunderstood it because the thing klopp was complaining about isn't that that there's a twelve thirty kickoff on a on a sunday or, or was it the saturday game yeah it was a saturday game Saturday, yeah Yeah, his complaint is that liverpool shouldn't be picked for the 12 30 because they had to play in europe which i believe is selected by the broadcasters you know if liverpool had to play in you know the half five kickoff on the sunday i'm sure klopp wouldn't complain as much cuz he gets more time to rest his players so i think his frustrating frustration is that you know these broadcasters are unnecessarily picking on his team and other teams that maybe, you know, they don't have to be the early kickoff every week. You know, Mm. you could put, like, a a lower-level team that aren't in Europe in the early kickoff but still have the Liverpool game on, you know, in the afternoon. I know it's only a couple hours, but it still makes a huge difference, potentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, but as a broadcaster, you want the best players, don't you? You want the best team the best players because they bring in the most views so of course you you still
1: get liverpool though you just get them later on in in the evening and i think you know from broadcaster point of view as well you have to look at it well if liverpool get half their squad injured then they're not going to put on as entertaining games later on in the season so i think it is in the best interest of both sides to work towards a amicable solution and i think i think klopp's not done himself any favors by you know having a go at people and they're less open to that conversation. But I think yeah. if they could actually sit down and talk about it, you know, both sides have good points, but I think Klopp is more in the right and that you know his team should be let off the hook a little bit more. And as should every other team in Europe, not just Liverpool. And, and allowed yeah. more leeway with these uh, that, situations.
0: That leads into Chris Wilder's comments. And as we know, Chris Wilder and his Sheffield United side, um, they've had the worst Premier League start nine losses and one draw only taken a point they have scored four goals and conceded 16. and he and he said that no one's protecting Sheffield United he seemed to sort of rubbish Klopp's claims almost as a sort of it's because he's got a top team and he has more power that's why he's moaning that sort of thing do you think that Wilder's got a point that if Klopp was managing someone like Sheffield United or Burnley or something like that. They might not be as vocal about this.
1: Well, I think if you go back, you know, Klopp was manager at Mainz for several years, is you know, fighting against relegation. So I think he's definitely familiar with the situation that Chris Wilder is in. And I think to suggest Klopp only cares about it because he's managing a big team is, I think, a bit ridiculous. I think the reason why we haven't heard a lot of this from Klopp, you know, earlier on in his career is. Because when you're managing a small team, people don't often care what you have to say about it. You know, Kloppner has essentially a bigger platform because he's managing a bigger club, and you know he's going to talk about these things. And I think, you know, it's a weird thing to say because you can't really argue with what Klopp's saying. You know, his point applies to all teams. It just applies to Liverpool more because they have to play more games because they're more successful.
0: Yeah, and do you think that there's more application for Liverpool because they? By the sense, you know, you have to say that by far and away the team suffering the worst with the most injuries. Um, do you think that's why he's more vocal on it? Like and other managers aren't, is because they haven't got as many injuries.
1: Yeah, I'm sure if, you know, Chris Wilder had these injuries, he'd be complaining as well. And I think the fact that you you look at the EFL where they've increased the amount of subs to five substitutions suggests that it isn't just a thing for, you know, the elite top teams in football. It's something that yeah. the rest of football agrees is an improvement and a way to protect players. So, yeah. mean, if Sheffield United get relegated, then they'll have five subs next season if it carries on.
0: Yeah, I mean we see uh, Mourinho use the five subs in the Europa League quite frequently to rotate his players, so he can still get his the best possible side he can now on his. You know they play on a Thursday and then they play Sunday. That still only gives them what Friday, Saturday. Two, so two and a half days to recover. So do you think that there's an element as well of maybe Klopp's got to manage his players better and as much as he doesn't want to make a substitution for the sake of substituting, if you're 2 nil up and cruising or 3-1 up, make a substitution for a player you might need for another game?
1: Potentially, but you know we saw that against Brighton. You know, he took Mo Salah off when potentially he wouldn't have done around the 60th minute when Liverpool are 1-0 up. Liverpool end up drawing the game 1-1, you know, where, you know, if Salah's on the pitch, that's that game, maybe he pops up with a moment of magic and puts some 2-0 up and they win the game. I think it's a really, you know, a delicate kind of balancing act to manage the fitness of that squad and, you know, put out a competitive team and a team that's going to win you these points because, you know, I think he's struggled with that on both counts this week.
0: Yeah. I mean, Liverpool surely can't take much more in terms of injuries like i know players obviously are coming back to fitness and fabinho's back which is you know a big a big boost um but i I don't know does the premier league have a similar rule to la liga where you're gonna make an emergency signing in the same vein that barcelona did with uh, martin brathwaite um i don't
1: know about that i think for goalkeepers you can but i don't think for outfield players
0: Because I think they could be in a bit of trouble with a few more, like serious trouble with a few more injuries.
1: Yeah, Um, I, I I mean, I think, I don't know the actual rules on that, but I think they'll just be forced to play more youth players, which obviously isn't ideal. But that's what they'll have to do. And I think even if they were allowed to make emergency signings, you know, who would they go out and buy? You know, because think in that situation, you're not really going to be able to spend, you know, fifty million on a centre back. Like, who are you going to bring back?
0: Yeah, and I, I, there's for fifty million or send it back, that's going to be you know, and then you could raid a small club and potentially you know see them relegated, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's,
1: personally, you know, even if you know Liverpool have this huge injury crisis which they're going through, right? I wouldn't want to see that. I think you know you just get forced to play your youth, in my
0: opinion. Yeah, um, having said that, back to the scheduling. If we let, let's assume that Klopp is right how do you fix the scheduling? Because Champions League takes and Europa League both take place midweek and then Premier League at the weekend and on to Monday. Do you see any way that that can be fixed and all competitions being played? Or do you think that we, a competition would have to be dropped?
1: Um, I think it's more a case of just when when do you put like Liverpool on telly? You know? they, don't, they don't need to be on every single week. You know, I think that that's. I know people want to watch them, but I think that would help if you give them some more times where they can have normal kickoffs and get more of a schedule around that, and give yeah. them you know the kickoff times so that give them the most distance from their games. Um, again, it's difficult, but I think in that situation you just got to work with them to help them put out an entertaining you know team and you know keep the broadcasters happy.
0: Yeah, I mean, because looking at it, you could have, you know, Champions League takes place on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, Europa League takes place on a Thursday, so theoretically you could say that the teams that play in the Champions League play on a Saturday, on the Tuesday, the Wednesday teams play on a Sunday, and the Thursday and the Europa League teams have to play on the Monday with the rest of the games for the non-European sides coming across Friday, Saturday, Sunday to fill the uh, weekend, do you think that's something that they could do? Because it would seem to give teams then uh, four days to recover rather than two and a half to three given that extra day of recovery do you think that's something that they should implement or do you think that that would just be a benefit for the bigger teams and wouldn't be of any benefit to anyone else?
1: I think it's something worth discussing you know I mean, you think about it from the other side, you know, what do Sheffield United gain from having one of those kickoff times, you know? Um, It's not really going to negatively impact the other teams, I don't think, whereas it would have a big positive impact on the bigger teams. So, uh, you know, it's it's definitely something that I think should be looked into and should be changed. And I think just in general, if they started working together a bit more, then we could have a much better situation and less, uh, you know, antagonistic, you know, interactions between them
0: yeah hopefully that is something that we will see fixed very soon but for now in this congested schedule fixture we have picked out three marquee games for this week as we always do so it's the final part i'm going to make some predictions on these games first of all is west ham at home to manchester united what's your thoughts Dan?
1: Yeah, I think um that should be a good game. You know, I was looking at West Ham's form um before we started recording today and I was surprised by how well they've done. You know, even against the bigger teams, you know, they've still picked up points against Man City, against Spurs. They've had a lot of kind of one 0 wins recently. So I think it's gonna be perhaps a tougher game than Man United are expecting. Uh that said, you know, I think United will be buoyed on by their, you know, comeback against Southampton. And I do think they are a better team than West Ham. So I, yeah. I would probably expect maybe a 2-1 to Man United. You know, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of goals. I think it'll be quite tight, and I could certainly see West Ham getting a point. But um, no, for me, I, I'll back United to win that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to go with your latter point. You can see West Ham taking a point. Um, I think we're going to see a 1-1. I, I can see West Ham falling behind and then snatching something late like they did against Spurs. Like, they they can compete, but it's almost like a tale of which West Ham turns up in the same way it's a tale of which Manchester United turns up. Because with United, they you know, we saw against in the first half against Southampton, didn't look like a good team. Um, and that can happen with West Ham. They just, sometimes they won't turn up.
1: Yeah, I just think with United right now, you know, when Oli gets on these runs, you know, like I said, when his job's at risk, they play really well. And I think... This might be the start of you know another run where they go on and win a lot of games in a row. So I think we might see a you know a big upturn in form for United in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, um, it's it would be interesting to see. I think again that uh, we'd have to say as we said about Manchester United and the systems they play. I think that it does depend on what he chooses to play because um, if he tries to match it up, mix it up, then I think West Ham, in because they've got a set way they play at the moment, I think West Ham would be more comfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think you know it's definitely be a very organised West Ham side against a potentially disorganised United one.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of disorganisation, Arsenal are away to Spurs in North London derby on Sunday at half four kickoff. We could see a, I think we could see a drubbing here.
1: Yeah, it's it's not one that us would want to have right now. Um, on the poor run of form that they are and looking, you know, leaky at the back and they're not scoring goals yeah. either. So, um, yeah, I'd be very worried if I was an Arsenal fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to call it, I think we could see Spurs winning this 3-0 and a comfortable 3-0. Um, Arsenal don't look like they can do anything going forward.
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree. And to be honest, I was going to say 3 nil as well um, to Spurs. I just think, you know, it's going to be one of the most one-sided you know, North London derbies we've seen in a while, I think. And I think even yeah. if Spurs set up to counter attack, you know, Arsenal aren't going to score past them. And they're definitely going to be able to hit them on the break. Especially, I think, if Arsenal play three at the back. Yeah, I think 3 0 to Tottenham, and it could maybe even be more.
0: Yeah, it's um, worrying looking at Arsenal's top scorers Pepe and Abameyang both on four. And that, you know that's the top, it's four goals from, okay, a, a winger who's not had a good start, that's in all competitions.
1: Yeah, I imagine does a say, lot of those in the, of... in the Europa League
0: as well. Yeah, got is four goals and one assist in 12 games in all competitions and Pepe, four goals and two assists in 14 games. That doesn't look good for them, does it?
1: No, definitely not, you know, especially over the years we kind of associated Arsenal with this kind of, you know, free form, you know, beautiful football with a lot of goals scored. Um, Yeah. And they're just nothing like it right now. And Spurs don't concede money. So I think definitely they won't be able to break them down.
0: No. Um, What result are you going to call on this one?
1: I think like you, I'd I'd say 3-0. 3-0?
0: Yeah. And as as I say, just looking at, um, in comparison, Spurs top scorer, uh Min Son has ten goals and three assists in thirteen games, and Harry Kane has eight goals and ten assists in thirteen games. You know. Yeah, I mean Harry Kane's
1: scored as many as Pepe and Aubameyang combined, and we're talking yeah. about Harry Kane's not scoring as many goals this year, so it's yeah definitely worrying for Arsenal.
0: Yeah, so I, I I think this is one for Spurs fans to look forward to, and Arsenal fans to find something else to do when the game is on because it could hurt.
1: Yeah, I know. I agree.
0: Um, and the final game we picked out is also the Sunday game, the evening kickoff is Liverpool versus Wolves. Um, as we know, Liverpool riddled with injuries, and Wolves will be out, be without um, Raul Raul Jimenez. Jimenez. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna gonna be an interesting game.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you know, um, obviously Liverpool are fantastic at home, but Wolves, when they kind of set up to play on the counter attack away from home against these big teams, they often get results. I think about the yeah. service they in Man City away from home. And I think it could be a tricky game um, for both sides, but I think even with their injuries, it's hard to go against Liverpool at home. And yeah, I- I'd still back them to get the win against Wolves.
0: Yeah, I mean, I- I'd agree. You know, they're on a 64-game unbeaten run at home. You would expect them to continue that the way the way they do play at home um they did we did struggle with wolves last season particularly adama triore um i think we're in real trouble if robertson uh gets injured in the champions league because he can he might be able to deal with his pace but if he drops off a bit deeper but that you, that's not Liverpool's system so i think we might see a 2-1 to liverpool but um it's a reasonably confident
1: 2-1. Yeah. fair, um, I was going to say 2-1 as well, but I don't want to agree with everything you said this week for the scores. <laughs> so um, I think I'll just go 1-0 to Liverpool, I think. It would be tight, one I think Liverpool will just edge it.
0: Yeah. Um, how, how do you think Wolves will play without uh, Jimenez through the middle? Do you think this is going to affect them massively, or do you think we could still see a, a goal threat from you know, their other attacking players like Daniel Podence and uh, Pedro Neto.
1: I think they'll definitely still have a goal for it. I think where they'll be hurt most is they'll lack his hold-up play and maybe struggle to kind of build up attacks when they do get on the ball. Um, I'd expect Liverpool to have most of the possession and maybe Wolves play a bit more aggressively on the counter-attack and get the ball, you know, quicker. I'm um, sorry, get the yeah. ball forward a lot quicker. So I would be yeah. surprised to see, you know, um, Adama Traore actually start up front for them play as a striker yeah. which i think could cause liverpool issues and i think it's going to probably come down to how well liverpool can kind of play that high line and try and catch them offside.
0: yeah and as we know with liverpool style of play the marauding fullbacks that could leave lots of space for adama trial or a to um take advantage of so you know could struggle with that i think
1: yeah definitely but no i think liverpool will just they're champions for a reason. I think they'll have enough to kind of get themselves over the line this game.
0: Yeah. And we can sit here and speculate all day if we wanted to, but we have unfortunately come to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, I'm Ross Evans with Dan Newton. Yep. And we'll catch you later.